Now, if I were to ask you a question like this, I wonder how you might answer it. Why do you love the Bible? Why do you love the Bible? You might say something like this, well, I love the Bible because I know it's God's holy word. And that's a great answer, it really is. It's a real good answer, and it's an accurate answer. But that answer doesn't do much for someone who's seeking to know about the Bible. Now, when I think of my own background, I think, well, how did I come to like the Bible, love the Bible so much? Well, I would just say I was taught that the Bible was God's Word as a child at an early age. How many of you fit into that category? He said, my parents taught me that the Bible was God's Word. And if if that was true of you in your home, then there were some rules that came with that. And I began to think about that this week. and, And I thought, what were some of the rules in our household about the Bible, where there were rules like this, you know, don't stack that stuff on that Bible. You get that stuff off that Bible, you go put those school books somewhere else. That's the Bible. Don't stack stuff on the Bible. Hey, get that Bible up off that floor over there. Pick that Bible up. You don't put the Bible on the floor. You Don't stand on that Bible. Don't sit on that Bible. Don't spill that on that Bible. I mean, everything was about the Bible. You don't do certain things. Don't heat your sister with that Bible. You treat that Bible better, right? It didn't have anything to do with your sister. Don't treat her better. You just treat the Bible better, right? So how many of you had rules like that in your house growing up? Yeah, you treated the Bible differently because it was different than any other book. And we would have to say, yes, it really was. And yes, it, it still is. So certain, certain rules applied to God's Word. And you know what we did? We bought the biggest one we could find for that coffee table in front of the couch in the living room. Because bigger was more spiritual. You know, bigger was better. You were a better Christian if you had a bigger Bible on the coffee table. I mean, not really. I'm just kidding. But not not about the size, though. I mean, those things were big. I'm looking back at the 70s, right? And, And now we have digital Bibles and things like that. And so times have kind of changed with that. But it was really seen as we're going to let people know we are Christians and we love the Bible. We love God's Word. And so we had the biggest one on the coffee table at home. Well, growing up, I didn't know much about the Bible, but my parents said it was God's Word. I heard the preacher preaching that it was God's Word. My Sunday school teacher always said that it was God's Word. So I grew up believing that this was God's Word simply for no other reason was because everyone said it was God's Word. Now, I want you to think about that. Growing up, your parents told you it was God's Word, but these are the same folks who told you if you swallowed a piece of bubble gum, It was going to stay there in your stomach for seven years. These are the same folks who said, if you go swimming right after you eat, you're going to die. That's just the bottom line. You're going to drown, okay? you got to wait how long? 30 minutes. If you cross your eyes, they're going to get stuck that way forever. Don't cross your eyes. These same folks that told us that taught us the Bible was God's Word. And listen, they taught us that Santa Claus, he knows when you're sleeping and if you're awake. That's creepy. That's just flat creepy. And that if you didn't come right away, mommy's going to leave you at the store. She's leaving. She had her keys out. If you don't come this instant, I am leaving. And you're three years old. Mama's not leaving. And we listen to these folks, and then they tell us this is God's word. So, you know, we've got to kind of come to a place because mom and dad teaching you that this is God's word only works till you're like nine or ten. After you turn nine or ten, eleven years old, you've got to come up with some stronger 
reasons than that to not just believe that the Bible is the Word of God, but to be convinced that this truly is God's Word. Or what about this? Maybe you grew up and your parents said, that is not God's Word. That is not true. You can't believe everything that you read in the Bible. Man wrote the Bible. God didn't write the Bible. Maybe that's the kind of home you grew up in. And so this is about rethinking the Bible. We need to rethink what we think about the Bible. We need to rethink and challenge even what we've been taught about God's Word. Is it really God's Word? Even though it has a number of authors, is it really God's Word? So I can tell you right now, I am not going to finish this all in one sermon. We're going to have about three sermons on rethinking the Bible. Because I think it's so vitally important for you to know that the thing that we teach out of, the thing that we hold so dear, the thing that we say we should fashion our lives after, that we really believe and know and understand that it is the true Word of God. So that's the premise I'm coming at this, that angle I'm coming at with this right here. So let's start in 2 Timothy. And what I'm going to do today is kind of lay a foundation. And then next week, and maybe even the week after that, we'll start getting into some evidences of this being the true Word of God. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. I think I'm starting in verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, all the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Verse 13, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Chapter 4, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Dr. J. Sidlow Baxter wrote years ago in one of his books that the biggest division between Christians is no longer going to be denominationalism. In other words, whether they're Baptist or Assembly of God or Presbyterian, Methodist, Catholic. He said the biggest division is not going to be about that. Instead, it's going to be a division between those who accept the Bible as being the inspired Word of God and those who do not. And I think that's so true today. We have Christians, people claiming to be Christians, who will turn around and say, this is not truly the Word of God. 
They're divided over whether or not to accept what the Bible says about Jesus. They're divided over what it says about heaven, hell, marriage, the creation of man and woman, their God-given roles, and what it says about the home, what the Bible says about the church and society at large. Whether or not they're going to receive the Bible as God's truth kind of depends on what they think, whether or not they're in agreement with what the Bible says. And so they make, it, uh, uh, they make themselves the judge of whether or not this really is God's Word. And I would just stand here and say today, you know, it's God's Word whether or not I like part of it or not. It's God's Word whether I like any of it or not. So today, let me just lay some groundwork and let's just use this passage to do it. Look at verse 16. We learn that the Bible is an inspired book. Now that sounds good. We've said that for years. Well, I know this is the inspired Word of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, that word inspired, as I read in the NIV, means God-breathed. It is God-breathed. Verse 16 says that all Scripture is God-breathed. That means it came into being by God's breath. But let me go a little further here in a moment, because that word means theopneustis. It's theo, which means God. Neustus means wind, breath, or spirit. Neustus means wind, breath, or, or spirit. So we're talking about the sound of my words right now. They're coming from my lungs, from my diaphragms, pushing it out, pushing it over my larynx. It flows from my mouth and my tongue and my lips in conjunction with my teeth and the placement of my tongue and lips. And it comes forth in words, sounds, syllables put together producing specific words. They are generated by my breath, my wind coming from out of my diaphragm. Well, Scripture comes from the very breath and Spirit of God. That's where Scripture comes from. So we have a couple of ways of explaining this. I guess we're kind of going to school right here this morning. Some of you already know this. Some of you are going to say, wow, I didn't think of it that way. But what we call this is the verbal and plenary inspiration of Scripture. What we mean by verbal inspiration is that the Bible isn't just a bunch of thoughts, good things that talk about God, but that the very words, word for word, it is the word of God. These are actual words from God to us. Therefore, we believe that every word is inspired and important. Jesus said in Matthew, he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So if all you study is like a a paraphrase translation, like the good news or the message, those are paraphrases. And those things are good for devotional reading, but if you want to study the Word of God, you need one that is more word-for-word translated. In other words, they try to hold to the words of Scripture, realizing that when we translate over into English, There is some discrepancies possibly that could happen. Some things can be translated at one time to mean something they don't mean today, even in our English. And so whether you're translating from to English or to German or whatever you're translating to, they want to hold to a word for word for some translations of Scripture as best as they know how in the language and culture of their day, while another translation may want to hold for a word for meaning. That would be the, the New International Version, the NIV. Their, their purpose is not to stay word for word as much as they want to stay word for meaning. In other words, I take the English language 
and I see what that says in a word for word, and I try to translate it over and give the meaning, not so much focus on the word. Well, King James Version tries to focus on more of a word for word, and the New King James does, the English Standard Version does, as a, a slew of others. The New American Standard tries to hold to a word for word, and you might read that and say, well, I don't get all the meaning of that. Well, because their purpose was to give you the word for word and, and not really be concerned with uh, paraphrasing or trying to explain things in the language and the culture of the day. That's why there are so many different translations. We believe in verbal inspiration. That means if you're going to really study you want to study things that help you understand what the word for word means so that you don't lose some things from Scripture. We also believe, secondly, in plenary inspiration. Plenary inspiration, plenary just means full, from beginning to end, complete, from the start to the finish, from Genesis to Revelation, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. We believe the Bible is fully inspired in its entirety. Now some want to say that only the New Testament books are inspired and the Old Testament is not inspired. That inspiration just comes where it talks about Christ. That the Old Testament books are no longer beneficial to us now that Christ has come. Some believe that. But the Bible is God's word to us from Genesis to Revelation. And it's important that we understand that. Now if you like southern sweet tea as probably most of us in here do, you know there's a difference when it comes to making sweet tea. You go into a restaurant and you order tea and, and you say, I'll have sweet tea, and they say, well, we'll just bring you regular tea and you can put some of that sugar right there in it. And you, I don't know about you, but I just kind of shake my head because I know when I put that sugar in that glass of tea, it's going to go right to the bottom. I can stir and stir and stir all I want, but I'm not going to get the benefit of it. When I'm drinking that tea, it gets sweeter as I get to the bottom. I don't get it from start to finish. And around here in the South, I want to tell you what, those are fighting words. I mean, you, you, if you don't know how to make good Southern sweet tea, just don't make it. I mean, you boil it, you put the sugar in it while it's hot, and you make sure it's stirred up good, then you serve it, right? So we know we like it from start to finish to taste like good old southern sweet tea. The New Testament lacks meaning without the Old Testament. You don't understand the cross without the Old Testament. The Old Testament is just as inspired as the New Testament is inspired. It's good from start to finish. If you want to enjoy it, you've got to have all of it, and you've got to understand that it's good from start to finish. We read in Genesis chapter 2, now I'm moving along, so don't stop me, okay? Genesis chapter 2, that after God formed Adam from the dust of the ground, listen to this. The Bible says God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. There's that same word that translates spirit and wind and breath. He breathed into Adam the breath of life and he became a living soul. That's Genesis chapter 2. That's why the Bible is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It comes from the breath of God, from the Spirit of God. I want you to think about a musician for a second. A musician takes an instrument and he blows through that musical instrument to create a specific sound. 
God's Spirit blew through the instrumentation of humanity to produce a certain and perfect word. And combined, we have the Word of God. Every word of the Bible is fully inspired, and it's exactly what God intended it to be. And so we believe the Bible is God-breathed, just as the Bible says, and therefore it is an inspired or God-breathed book. Secondly, the Bible is an instructive book. Look again at verse 16. It is useful for four things. He says here, The Bible is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God is in the equipping business. That's what what God is up to in your life. We say God wants to work in your life. Why? What's he doing? He's wanting to equip you to be a servant for him. And so the word of God helps to equip you just as the Holy Spirit will use the Word of God and He will equip you as well. So look what it says here. And you can jot some easy notes in your margin. This helped me years ago when I heard it explained like this. First of all, it says it's useful for teaching. What is that? That's what is right. So I went and I wrote my margin. What's teaching? It's what is right. The Bible teaches us what is right. Someone said, well, I, I don't go to church to learn about doctrine I go to church to learn what the Bible says. Well, the word doctrine means teaching. That's why some of your translations talk about doctrine. Doctrine is teaching. So you can say, well, I don't go to church to learn about doctrine. I go to church to learn the Bible. I go to church to be fed. Well, what are you being fed? You're being fed doctrine. You're being fed teachings of the Bible about God. That's what doctrine is. He said in verse 3 and 4 of chapter 4, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they'll suit their own desires. In order to do that, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say exactly what they want to hear. They want to hear what they want to hear. They want to hear anything that comes against them or changes their thinking in any way. And he says they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So there's a progression, I think, taking place even in our own culture where we used to say... We want a a preacher to say and be able to preach and say, Thus says the Lord, because he's speaking about what God says. Then time came where many churches said, We don't want to have that. We want to have what we like to hear. And so the church said, Thus saith the church. And then now we're at a place where the culture is saying, We don't want to hear anything from the Bible. We want to hear, Thus says the culture. What does the culture think about marriage? What does the culture think about God? And if you're not politically correct, we don't want to hear from you. You know what political correctness is? I like what Bill Britt says about this. Years ago I heard him preach. He said, political correctness is the art of almost saying something. That's all it is. It isn't saying a single thing so that you don't offend anybody. It's just in the middle and you just said a bunch of nothing. A bunch of hooey is the way I've heard it. It's just a bunch of hooey. Well, God has given us His Word, and it's not hooey, it's not nothing, it is meaningful, it's from the breath of God, and it's instructional. So He says to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 2, preach the Word! We can come up here and preach a number of things, talk about a number of things. He said, preach the Word. Why? Because the Word changes hearts and lives. It is the inspired Word of God. So He says it's profitable for teaching. He said also for rebuking. What's rebuking? to tell us when we're not right, when we're not right. He said, for correcting. What's that? 
That's showing us how to get right. How to get back to being right. And then he said it's useful for training. That's how to stay right after we get right so we can serve the Lord right. That's what that's about. That the man of God may be equipped for every good work. That's Christian service. So the Bible's an instructive book. It shows us what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. But here's the final thing. Not only is it an inspired book, not only is it an instruction book, an instructive book, it's an instrumental book. Look at verses 14 and 15. As for you, continue in what you've learned and been convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul knew and wrote that Timothy had a great mother and a great grandmother who taught him from infancy the Holy Scriptures. And I'll tell you what, sometimes we think, well, the, the, the Sunday school is just for our kids. Children's church stuff and Wednesday night stuff, it's just all about kids. But I will tell you, the Word of God is for the adults too. It's for every one of us. And look here what it does. It makes us wise for salvation. The Word of God is instrumental because the Word of God contains the gospel of God. The Word of God contains the history of God moving and working among His people as He called them out and about His Son Jesus who is the one who gives atonement for our sins, who redeems us unto Himself and we stand in our faith with Him. We stand before God righteous because of His Son Jesus Christ. And so you have to know all that. You need to learn all that. You don't have to know every single bit of that to be saved, but you need to grow in that so that you know what you're holding on to has some validity and there's some power and there's some strength in it because the Bible leads you to be saved. You can't be saved apart from the Word of God. The gospel is contained in the Word of God. You need that part to be saved. You've got to have it. It's the truth that saves you. If you want people to believe and be saved, you have to give them something to believe. Give them the truth from the Bible. R.G. Lee, pastor from years ago in Memphis, Tennessee, said about the Bible, It is supernatural in origin, eternal in duration, inexpressible in value, immeasurable in scope, divine in authorship, human in penmanship, regenerative in power, infallible in authority, universal in interest, personal in application, inspired in totality. He went on to say, This is the book that has walked more paths, traveled more highways, knocked on more doors, and spoken to more people in their own language than any book this world has ever known or ever will know. That's the Word of God. It's not just the book of this age, it's the book of the ages. It has been since the time that God spoke it and began to move upon the prophets and they spoke and began to move on those apostles and those who wrote in the early church. Since that time, it has been God's Word and it will forever be God's Word. It has been inspired, He illuminates it, and He preserves His Word for us. I want you to see a picture that will remind many of you of an incident from long ago, 1970. 
1970, three astronauts headed toward the moon in Apollo 13. During the mission, one of the oxygen tanks exploded, and as the hours passed, the module began filling with carbon dioxide and their power supply was limited. They would die and freeze in space if a solution was not reached quickly. So experts at NASA started getting together there on the ground and they're forced to rethink. They're forced to rethink. They've got to rethink how this craft was built. They've got to rethink about everything that's in there. They've got to find a way to bring these men home. I was in first grade when this happened. I remember watching on television that splashdown when they returned home. But they had to rethink. They knew that time was counting down. One of the astronauts originally scheduled to go on the mission was rejected because he had been exposed or gotten the, the German measles. So they couldn't risk sending him up. Another one had to go in his place. He was the astronaut that knew every inch of this spacecraft, unfortunately, but couldn't go. And so they had him and put him in charge of coming up with a solution. If you watch the movie of Apollo 13, you see them gathering together. And this is true that they said, go get every little piece. Or he said, go get every little piece of equipment and things that we can know that they have available to them in that spacecraft. And they come, they just lay it all out there, and they start almost like playing with Legos, start seeing what they can make so that they can stop the carbon dioxide poisoning that's happening with them in the cabin. Using two plastic bags, two hoses from their red space suits, two socks, some cardboard, a bungee cord, and a roll of duct tape, they created the box that you see in this picture, which they had the astronauts then duplicate on board the spacecraft. And as a result, they were able to filter that out long enough for them to live while they came up with additional solutions for getting this module back to Earth. But I want you to catch something in this story, because as I contemplated this, this stood out to me. The astronaut who was rejected from going on the mission because of the measles was the one that knew how to save them from death. He was the one that knew the most about the aircraft and was able to put these men together to, to come up with a solution so that they could be saved. And I would tell you this, all of God's Word from beginning to end, it points to Jesus as God's answer for His redemptive plan. He's the stone, the Bible says, that the builders rejected. They want to do away with Him. He's the stumbling block that, that people get tired of. He's in the way. He was despised and rejected by this world, yet He's the only one who can save us. So my question to you is, will you believe the Bible is the true Word of God? And if not, why not? You have to have a reason, a reason that this is not the Word of God for you in your life. And I would tell you over the next couple of weeks, I will give you reasons that you can believe this is the true Word of God. Will you believe the Bible and will you trust in Jesus today if you've not yet done so? I wonder if you just bow your heads with me, everybody in this sanctuary. Bow your heads today. Why not pray during this time? Lord Jesus, I believe your Word. Your Word tells me I'm a sinner and that you're the only Savior. And today I'm asking you to forgive me of all my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I confess to you that I'm a sinner. Lord, I believe that by putting my faith and trust in you, just as your word says,
By calling upon you, I will be saved. I believe I came here today a sinner, but according to your word, I can leave here saved. I can leave here a saint and a child of God. And that's what I want to do. I choose to follow you.